0: Today, uh, we are going to read a passage that is somewhat familiar to you. Um, And hopefully, if you wet your finger, we're going to jump around the Bible quite a bit. Some of the scriptures I have in my notes, and they're short, and some ones that are longer, I'll probably ask you to look up so that you remember them. But turn in your Bible to Ephesians the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. And we're going to start reading in verse 10. Verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord... And in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me that words may be given me in the opening of my mouth to boldly proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. You know, the job of a pastor teacher in the Bible, in Ephesians 4, according to Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints. In other words, to equip you to do the work of the ministry. It's actually not the pastor's job to do the work. Unfortunately, over the years, in the incorrect biblical structure of the church this is what ends up happening but it's really not that job to equip so that you can complete the ministry of christ on earth that was given to you as a church today is one of the most important aspects of this because we're talking about standing in the spirit and withstanding satan's attacks and to stand strong in a way That God has placed us. The devil knows better than you who you are. He also knows who you are in Christ. (laughs) Although he's not afraid of you, he does tremble at the very fact that God is in you. And he trembles at the power of God in you and his own defeatedness. At the cross, Jesus completely judged and defeated the devil. But the devil doesn't agree with that. (laughs) And because he doesn't, he doesn't want you to know how powerful the Holy Spirit is in you to defeat him in the everyday battles of life. Satan will try to disrupt the unity of the church. How does he do that? He pits believer against believer. He pits, he pits church members against the pastors and leaders. And the disruption is to keep us sidetracked from our primary purpose for being here as a church. If we didn't understand our primary purpose, he could just rapture us all out of here and not waste anybody else's time. (laughs) But he's given us a purpose to be here. And we're going to talk about that at the, end of this, at the end of this series. But just think about this. When Paul says, we're not wrestling with flesh and blood, but against real cosmic superpowers. Think about that. I'm not sure people in this country are really convinced the devil is that active or real. In our passage today, Paul describes these demons as superpowers. It's a Greek word, cosmic superpowers. And although they are no match for Christ himself, those without Christ are subject to any of his suggestions. Sometimes these demons veil themselves as an angel of light. I want to read a passage to you that's really interesting. It's in Acts chapter 16, verses 16-16 through 19 and you can turn there if you wish this is Paul and Silas and Luke are walking down the road and it says as they were going to the place of prayer they were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling isn't that interesting she had a spirit of divination it doesn't say she had the Holy Spirit and she followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. What's wrong with that? Sounds good, doesn't it? Now listen to what happens. She kept doing this for many days. So Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to that spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And when her owners saw their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them in the marketplace before the rulers. What's going on here? Because somebody says, that man or that woman proclaims the power of the gospel of salvation, does that make them saved? Does it, it, it really is difficult for us to discern sometimes when people are good or people are really filled with the Spirit. Sometimes we have to be careful. Because all she was doing was harassing Paul and Silas. Drawing attention to herself. Not God, not them. Of course, Paul discerned that it was a demon, commanded to come out, and then got in trouble with their owners. These spiritual powers, my friends, really exist. The indication here is that we have no strength against them without Christ, none. Missionaries who have come off the field where demonic activity is rampant are surprised at the things they have to deal with and sometimes not even prepared before they go. So we have a defense. And Jason talked about a metaphor. Let me just say this, it is a metaphor, what we're going to talk about is a metaphor, but it's also a real thing, because God wouldn't tell us to do it if it wasn't real, would he? Paul tells us to put on the whole armor to God, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, in order to stand against the schemes of the devil. These schemes are insidious, conspiracy initiated by hordes of demons, led by the devil himself. In fact, we're told that we're not really struggling with flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers, forces of evil, in the heavenlies. Now, this doesn't mean where God is. This is talking about the atmosphere, those heavenlies. They hate the glory of God. And they hate us. And they hate the fact and despise the fact that we, who deserve death and and judgment, have been given grace. They hate that. Why? Because they can't get it. When we're preaching to people who will not respond to the gospel, we're not talking to flesh and blood. If that person is resistant, there is a demonic spirit behind them. Trying to convince them otherwise. Now, I don't want you going around rebuking the devil, okay? <laughs> you know, well, that person, uh, you know, sometimes Liz says some things that I, I want to rebuke the devil and her. Well, the devil's been rebuked in Liz, and she's saved, so we don't have to do that anymore. This is primarily to people we'll talk about in a minute. But I want you to turn in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 4 for a minute. <clears throat> I'll tell you a story while you're telling it. Kathleen and I were driving around was that Friday or Saturday Friday? and we went over to the library to get some books and stuff and, and uh we saw this really unique little vehicle called an elf. Have you anybody ever seen that? It's actually a pedal thing, but it's got a um- uh solar panels on top that if you really can't go up a hill, you push a button and a battery takes you up and this and, and I said, "I wonder who that belongs to, and this little old lady came out like this. OK, and she came out and she started to get in and I rolled the window down and I said, what makes that go? She said me. <laughs> and so she came up to the car and so we're talking about her. and She goes, you know, sometimes I feel sinful for driving my car and putting, you know, whatever carbon out in the carbon ions out in the atmosphere. And Kathleen, when she heard the word "sinful," naturally said, oh, where church do you go to? She said, oh, dear, I'm an atheist. So she starts, says, I I know enough science to know there's no such thing as God. I thought of that verse in Romans 1, confessing themselves to be wise. They became fools. And in Psalm 14, the fool says in his heart there is no God. You know what that fool is saying? He's saying there's no heart here, no God here. So I asked her, I said, do you consider yourself a good person? (laughs) Ha, ha, ha. Of course I do, she said. I said, well, what standard are you using to determine that you're a good person? Well, then she had none. But I know there's no God. So Kathleen, as she usually does, writes her name and number, on, hand her a track. She took it. The minute she saw what it was, she threw it back in the car. She wouldn't take it. Now, this, is, this little lady isn't hurting anybody. But I, we couldn't, she didn't, after we started getting serious about who Jesus Christ is, started backing off, changed the subject, went back to her carbon emissions thing and, you know, why she rides that little four-wheel bicycle around with a hood on it. So, that encounter caused both of us to weep. We went in the library, Kathleen came up to me and she says, I know Jesus weeps for sinners, but this is the first time I've ever felt such pain and weeping over somebody who has no idea what's coming. Listen to what it says here. 2 Corinthians one. Therefore, having this ministry, <clears throat> by the mercy of God... We do not lose heart, but we have renounced the disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or tamper with the Word of God. Oh, I love that term, don't tamper with the Word of God. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience. And even if our gospel is veiled or hidden, it's veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbeliever to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and our self-servants for your sake. For God said, let light shine in the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. In the face of Christ. Before I go on, I want to ask you just a very simple question. Are you religious or are you real? <laughs> I mean, that, that sounds foolish maybe. You go, you know, I've been saved for... I didn't ask you that. You can be saved and be very religious and not be real. Uh, pff, true of me sometimes, many times. I, I'm always. My wife and I are always telling each other what wretches we are and how much we love each other. That's kind of a... <laughs> Sounds like a dichotomy. (laughs) But, you see, the God of this world has the power to blind the minds of the unbelieving. And they just can't get it. The gospel's foolish to them. Today, though, I'm concerned about equipping you and me. So I'm primarily speaking to believers here today. If you're here without Jesus... As your indwelling, Lord and Savior, you have much to fear, and mostly from God, <laughs> because He has been so gracious to, to, in such an unbelievable way. Right, Darren? Unbelievable what He's done. Refusing to spare His own Son. God only had one Son. And His love for you was so great that He gave Him up for you. You say, how can I know for sure if I can be saved? Jesus died for sinners. You're a sinner. He died for you. Ain't that simple? (laughs) It's just that simple. Take him. It's a free gift. You can't earn it. Right. Without him, you're without his covering for sin, you're just wandering around wandering around in ignorance of your future fate. So Paul tells us to take. The armor of God. Now, whose armor is it? God's. Okay. But he tells us to put it on, doesn't he? All right. And it is a metaphor. But he doesn't say to advance or to attack. What does he say? Stand. Stand. Stand against the schemes of the devil. This is not a warning against demon possession. A believer can't be possessed with a demon. The Holy Spirit doesn't dwell in the same place a demon does, okay? But you can certainly be influenced by one. But you need to understand something. The tempter is going to come and tempt you in four different ways. And I want you to get this. When it happens to you, you'll understand what's going on. First of all, he tempts, tempts you to sin, to, to disobey Commandments of God to disobey the gospel in a way that you're not displaying Christ. He tries to attract you away from Christ with, by sin to make it look good. You know, people. Will, you know, we always see pictures of the devil with his terrible teeth and his little horns and tail. He's beautiful. He's not as beautiful or fair as Christ, but he's beautiful. What he does is present something that looks good. And it calls you away. Second thing he does. He tempts you to sin. And second thing, he accuses you of sin. His name, Diabolos, means one who stands and points the finger. And did you know that when you get, he gets people in the church talking badly about one another, they are joining with him in what's called Diabolos, slander. God tells you to go to the person you got a problem with. The devil says, Get you a group of people who get together who are against this person. That's wrong in any situation. So he says, You can be tempted also to follow false teaching into heresy. And believe me, I've talked to a lot of people like that who believe some really silly stuff and when you back them up with the Bible they'll just shut their Bible or they'll say I don't care what you say I know what I've experienced God isn't all about experiences He's about the truth and finally the devil will lead you to be persecuted for the cause of Christ He's behind that we'll discuss these later but remember these are important to understand we're given the resources from God to stand. The armor of God. It's similar to that worn of a, a Roman soldiers. Would you put that slide up, Rod? Okay. Now, when Paul starts talking about the armor, we can sort of see what he's talking about here. So, let's talk about it. First of all, we have to understand though Colossians 2.15 says, God disarmed all of the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over him. Now, over them. <coughs> Do you realize that these demons have been defeated and they know it? <coughs> but you may not know it. It says God disarmed them. What does that mean? He took their weapons away. <laughs> but they still try to draw believers away from Christ. John 16:8, Jesus said, When the Spirit comes, He will convict the world concerning sin, righteousness, and judgment. Sin, because they do not believe in Me. Righteousness, because I go straight to the Father and you'll see Me no more. Judgment, because the ruler of this world has already been judged. Wow. A lot happened at the cross we don't have any fathom of, right? So he starts out, and if you look at the, the kind of the funny look, at, I wish I had a one of these things, a pointer, laser. laser. I got one on my gun, but <laughs> thanks. <laughs> well, I am on the safety team. First of all, you see this right here? Okay. He says, put on the belt of truth. This is obviously the Word of God. But it has more of a meaning than just reading the Bible. It means to surround yourself with truth. Your belly is your softest part. And you'll notice he's got leather even hanging down in front of his belly. It's your softest part, and it's the most vulnerable. It's like a large leather sash that goes around you. Actually, this belt isn't as big as what I've seen depicted, but that's okay. And because it's truth, it's protecting the vulnerable part, metaphorically. The the belly is considered to be the seat of the emotions. So Satan tries to get you to act on what you feel but you're girding yourself with truth. And truth has nothing to do with your feelings. Secondly, he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness. Okay? Here's where your heart is guarded from the accusations of the devil. We have God's righteousness in Jesus given to us, imputed to us as a gift. And so when the devil begins to accuse us, we can remind him through this shield or this breastplate of righteousness that our sins have been obliterated. We are standing in the righteousness of God now. Amen. Then he says, have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel or the readiness of the gospel. You say, well, Brother John, where's God calling me to preach the gospel? Wherever your feet are. Get it? <laughs> if you're ready, if you're wearing shoes that are ready to preach the gospel, doesn't matter where you are, you're ready. Wherever your feet are is where you preach the gospel. And why? Because the gospel, not your personal love for that person, not your personal feelings for that person, not anything to do with, with you thinking you're better or they're better than you. The gospel is the power of God to save. Not how good you look to them. Next, he goes on the shield of faith. Now, this is interesting the shield of faith. Soldier's shield was actually made out of wood, but it was overlaid with metal. Prior to battle, the soldier would dip his shield in water. What do you do that for? Because The arrows coming were not just arrows, they were flaming arrows, flaming darts. And the water on the shield would extinguish it. Not only that, though, that shield of faith is where you're standing the strongest. I don't know what's going on with my life right now. I don't know why I'm going through this. Sometimes I get worried that I'm not being persecuted. Maybe I'm not standing strong enough. Whatever. You know. Either way, we can get things messed up. But here's the thing. That shield of faith says, I believe God, not man, no matter what. And every dart that comes at me from the evil one, I, I, I hold my shield up. You too have to dip your faith in the water of the Word. And that's not a metaphor. That's a real thing you need to do. Because Satan wants to get through to you, making you doubt and step back instead of stand. Then we got the helmet of salvation. The armor is designed to protect our mind, that part of the armor. By meditating on Scripture, you're putting on the armor of God in your mind. You're protecting yourself from the false teachings of Satan. Even though we have a tendency to look at false teachers and dislike them, remember, we're not struggling with flesh and blood. These false teachers are bound by satanic forces. You know, we don't like to talk about it. We don't like the idea that there are demons in the world. We don't like that. But my friends, that's... What it's all about. That's who our real enemy is, and we'll see in a minute how we win our enemies. Says the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. So you see. When you hear, if a Mormon or a Jehovah Witness comes and knocks on your door, that person isn't the problem. You're not supposed to invite him in or say, God bless. According to Second John, you're just participating in his evil deeds by giving a blessing to him. So don't even invite him in. You can go outside with your Bible and talk to him if you want to. It's fun when it's really, really cold and you do that, and they're sitting there wishing they could get inside your house but be that as it may. These people are not the problem. It's the demon behind them teaching them false doctrine. Get it? Okay. Next, notice he's got a sword. Sword of the Spirit. Now, there's... This is one of two offensive weapons. The rest of those, notice, are all defensive, right? They're all protection devices. This is the only offensive weapon, one of two of the offensive weapons given to us. The sword of the Spirit. What is it? Obviously, it's the Word of God. But it's the Word of God that's a double-edged sword. Hebrews says that the Word of God is a double-edged sword piercing, going in and going out. The, both the spirit and the soul separates everything, gives you, makes you just naked before the Lord. Which we don't feel comfortable with. <laughs> but it's necessary if you really want to be broken, if you really want to be what God wants you to be. The Word of God attacks Satan at his very core, and we'll talk about this in a minute because He's the father of lies. And because He's the father of lies, we need defense against that, but we need to go now is where we need to get aggressive and cut back. The second and it's not up here and possibly the most important armor we have is prayer. All the weapons that we are at, all the armor and weapons we've been given should be bathed and immersed in prayer. I was talking to uh, Phil Brown. Phil actually gave me this little illustration. We copied it, scanned it, and put it up so you, you could see it. It's a pretty neat little illustration. But Phil says he gets up every morning and prayerfully puts on all the armor of God before he gets out of bed. It's not a bad idea. And Satan's always fighting against the truth. But now, here's the thing. His attacks come in ebbs and flows. He, sometimes, some seasons, it seems worse than others. But he knows his time is short. So he's going to increase what he's doing. Here's something you need to understand. And this is a mistake a lot of people make. Christ did not call us to feed the poor. Christ did not call us to shelter the homeless. He didn't call us to stop the senseless murders of innocent children in the womb. All these things come out of what he called us to do. What did he call us to do? He called us to make disciples. You see, the people that are doing all these things, that are in all this trouble, the problem is not in their their circumstances. The problem is in their heart. And if you don't change the heart, they'll continue to act the same way. And you can stop expecting them to act like Christians no matter how much we legislate something different. You can just stop it. That's not what you were called to do. The Bible says, Jesus said, I make you fishers of men. You walk up to the pond, it says, fishing allowed. Don't clean up the pond. That comes out of just... Us working and growing together in unity and preaching the gospel and changing men's hearts and women's hearts and children's hearts. And when they come in here, they will feed the homeless or feed the poor. They will shelter the homeless. We do it. We've done it. I wasn't here, but during the 93 flood, this church had a reputation for taking care of people. That's great. Why did you do it? Because of Christ. Because you are a disciple. Not because you're such a goody two-shoes, right? You're a disciple. We're called to preach, make disciples, to love one another so the world can look at us and say, those people are Christ's. They belong to Him. Look at that, how they love each other. All those things mentioned above are good, but without the powerful gospel being given to them at the same time. You didn't do anything for him, ultimately. Now, I talked about the four ways that Satan attacks. First one's temptation to sin. When it happens, we need to realize that we're not just being tempted in our flesh. Well, that That's certainly involved. But listen to what James says in James 1, 14 through um, 16. Each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Who's doing that? Then desire, when it has conceived, birth, gives birth to sin, and sin, when has fully grown, gives birth to death. Do not deceive, my beloved brothers. Do not be deceived, he says. But we have to understand something. <coughs> Temptation is not sin. Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted. Did he sin? No. We can have an evil thought. You know the devil is so crafty; he can put an evil thought in this in year this year ear, excuse me, and before you've even had an opportunity to do what he's suggesting, he runs over here and accuses you. Says, "Well, if you're a Christian, why would you have that thought? It's not yours. You get it? Being tempted is not sin. Realize when you're being tempted that you are being called to stand." against temptation how do we do that he says in James submit yourself to God make him boss resist the devil and he will flee from you now when Jesus was in the wilderness the devil came to him and here's the thing Jesus relied on this right here the devil said if you're the son of God you're hungry you've fasted for 40 days you're near death You have the power to turn that rock into bread. (laughs) Why don't you do it? Jesus said what? Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that goes out of the mouth of God. Wow. We came to him and said, well, look, let's go up here on the pinnacle of the temple. Jump off and float down and let everybody see because the devils are going to protect. I mean, the demons, not the demons, devils. I mean, the angels are going to protect you. Even if you cast your foot against a stone, that scripture is out of context. That scripture is in context when it's talking about a person walking in the ways of God, not a person who's testing God. So he turns around, immediately says, as it is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Put him to the test. And then he takes him up on this mountain and shows him everything that things that you and I go would probably slobber and go, wow. He said, I'll give you all this if you bow down to me. It's mine to give. Who gave it to him? Adam. Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. It is written. Where is all those statements written? Does anybody know? Deuteronomy. Every one of them an Old Testament, and yet they were powerful enough to defeat the devil. So the devil left him for a while, for a while. (laughs) Don't expect the devil to leave. Just because you stand against him and he flees, he'll be back. He or one of his minions. The next thing the devil does is accuse us of our sins. So how do we feed him, defeat him? We have to realize this is not God accusing you. If you feel guilty after you confessed your sins, and you still feel guilty, and you're still mad at yourself, and you're still upset, oh, how could I have done that? Well, if you're mad at yourself, you must have trusted yourself. That ain't right. (laughs) It's not God accusing you. The Holy Spirit convicts us deeply about sin sometimes, only for one reason, to get us to the cross, so that we can breathe again. Like Rod read up here, the cross is where we start our life. It's where we live our lives. Isn't that right? Right. The Holy Spirit will do that, but the devil just wants to slander us into believing that God doesn't love us anymore or that we're not walking correctly or whatever. Now, here's the way you defeat him. I'm going to give you some three scriptures. And I want you... This is really... this. The, the, Mental institutions are full of people who have unresolved guilt. Did you know that? Here's where you beat him. Write these scriptures down. Romans 8, 33 through 35. Listen. This is God speaking. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God that justified (laughs) them. I like that. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that raised from the dead and right hand of God interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What's the answer? No one, but you can sure be made to feel that you've been separated, can't you? Listen to Revelation chapter 12 verses 10 and 11. This is interesting. I actually said I had three scriptures, I have four or five. I don't know. That's okay. Revelation twelve ten and 11. He says, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and power and kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ has come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down. Who accuses them day and night before God? He's just relentless. Listen to the rest of it. And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. The blood answers all your sins. And the word of their testimony, the word of God. And, as, Paul, as Rod said this morning, Jesus comes and bids us die. They love not their own lives even unto death. Wow. He can't fight that. If you're not afraid to die, what is what's left? Right? 2 Peter 2, 1 through 3. False prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you. Actually, that belongs in a different place. But let's go to 2 Timothy 2.24. The Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness that God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. This is cults. This is atheists. Okay? We combat the idea of false teaching, which is the next thing, by knowing the Word of God and realizing our weapon is not carnal, not fleshly. Paul says in Second Corinthians 10, this is another a uh, good set of verses that, that are really good for you. The weapons of our war although we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but they have divine power to destroy strongholds. What is Satan trying to do? He's trying to establish a stronghold in you. And you'll notice some people who are addicted to things. Addicted to things. Addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, addicted to pornography. What's the real problem? Satan has gotten a stronghold in their life. He's got a beachhead there that he has set up shop. He's the problem. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought to captive to obey Christ. So when Kathleen and I were talking to Edith and, Friday, we were trying to ask her, what basis do you consider yourself a good person? She had no answer. And we're bringing her, trying to regard her to Christ, and boy, she shut us off real quick. You see, down deep in her heart, she knows there's a God. But let me tell you something. People do not reject Christ for scientific reasons. Oh, they'll say they do. They reject Christ because they don't want... The unseen God running their lives. That's the problem. That's why when we call people to salvation, we just don't call them down here and say, ask Jesus in your heart, okay, go on your way, get baptized. doesn't matter how you live now. You can have your sin in Jesus. We say, Jesus is calling you to take the cross. He's calling you to make Him Lord, boss, supreme over your life. You don't have a life without Him anymore. That's what he's calling us to. And then the next one is, by the way, when we're dealing with these people, he doesn't tell us to take a literal cross and chop their heads off. That's that's Islam, not Christianity. He tells us to take the cross and be ready to suffer, even unto death. Now, Speaking of suffering, listen. Philippians one twenty nine and 30 have a really interesting twist to it. <clears throat> it says this. It has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that, not, that you would not only believe in him. It's been granted to you believe in him. But suffer for his sake. God gave me the gift of suffering. Yay! <laughs> not very really happy about that, are <laughs> we? It says it's been granted to. It's a privilege not only to believe in Jesus, but to suffer for His sake. So what happens is, is that when we're ready to suffer, we're engaged in conflict. We hate conflict, don't we? We just hate it. But we're engaged in conflict with the devil. So the demons hate our master. Why are we surprised they hate us? (laughs) By arming yourself with suffering for persecution, God gives you the opportunity to win your enemies, not cut their heads off. This is the way God draws sinners to Him. Not by coming down and pounding on their heads. And not making us go pounding on their heads. He gives us the privilege of suffering and participating in the sufferings of Christ. So there'll be one. Interesting. Let's listen to First Peter four, one through ten. Turn there if you would. Exactly four through one through eleven. Actually, I'm just going to read the the first two verses of Peter. I don't have time. But just listen. Mark down the whole, read the whole chapter. (laughs) Okay? Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, get this, arm yourselves with the same purpose. Since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves in the same way of thinking for whoever suffers in the flesh. Oh, wow. Here's an an amazing thought. Has ceased from sin. You want to stop sinning? Go out and witness for Jesus. You're going to suffer persecution. (laughs) You don't have time for sin when you're suffering. It says, he who suffers in the flesh has ceased from sin. Wow. Now, which came first? I don't know. (laughs) Yes. I'll just say that. Which came first? Ceasing from sin or suffering or suffering and then ceasing from sin? I don't know. Just yes. (laughs) That's all I can say. But you see, he's saying arm ourselves. God has placed you on a rock with an armor, metaphorically speaking, that looks like that. Remember, no one has suffered. As the Scripture says, no one has suffered like unto his suffering.